because uh, we only got a short time. Now, who needs a lesson? Who came in and forgot to grab a lesson? We've got people. Hold your hand up real high, and they're going to run like the wind. Run like the wind. Hold your hands up. Hold your hands up. This is a stick up. Put them both up. Amen. Here we go. You need a lesson. If you need something to write with, I think I have somebody with some pens. Did it, did it, huh? Pens? You got pens? Got pens in the back? If you need something to write with, raise your hand. I want to make sure you get that, okay? Need an need a outline and a pen. All right, if you, got, if you need something to write with, raise your hand. You have no excuse whatsoever. All right, over there, over there. Got two over there, Johnny. These, these pens are $17 a piece. All right. Hey, and if you can, no joking, if you can, uh, get the pens back to Brother Johnny after the thing's over. That way we can, we can bring them back next Wednesday. Uh, if you can't, that's, that's cool too. You've got a pen. No problem. All right. It, oh, did you get your? Hey, Johnny, right over here. Right over here. Right over here. All right. All right. I just like seeing Johnny actually do something around here. Amen? All right. There we go. All the way in the corner, Johnny. All the way in the corner. Y'all give Johnny a hand. Ain't he doing a great job? All right. All right. You can be seated. You can be seated. We're going to pray, jump right into this deal, uh, and, and talk about a great subject tonight. An important subject tonight, uh, a subject that many, many Christians, many, many churches are dealing with, and uh, we, we want to help out with this problem, okay? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness and mercy. God, I'm so thankful to have an opportunity to share your word tonight. I'm so thankful for a crowd that's here, that's eager. Lord, they're ready to hear from you. We didn't come to hear an opinion. We didn't come to uh, uh, find out somebody's theory. We came to hear what you want us to know that's going to help us be the Christians you'd have us to be. And God, I thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for a building downstairs in the lower building that's jam-packed full of teenagers that's hearing the Word of God tonight. Thank you for a building in the back of this building that's got many young people in it that's hearing about Jesus, maybe some for the very first time. God, what a privilege it is to be a part of something so great and so wonderful. We thank you for that, and God bless us now in this Bible study. In Jesus' name I pray, and we all say amen. amen. All right, Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. This is what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, uh, we are all on a road. We are all traveling a highway, if you will. We're on the, 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 the gospel highway trying to live our life the way God wants us to live. And the, in the highway that we're running, in the highway that we are on, uh, and everybody's on it too, every Christian's on it, uh, in that highway there is a ditch on both sides. Now how many of y'all been driving your car before and ended up in the ditch before? Hey, it's the same principle. Uh, it's very easy, it's very easy to end up in one of these ditches. Now one ditch, one ditch we're going to call legalism. Say that with me. We're going to call it... Say it again. We're going to call it legalism. Now, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Last week, if you missed last week, we've got free DVDs and free CDs back there so you can catch up with us because uh, you really need to get this. Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 are probably three of the most powerful chapters in all of the Bible because I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with being all that God wants me to be. How about you? 
chapters 6, 7, and 8 completely deal with this topic and, and how to live right, how to live righteously, how to be what God wants us to be, and uh, how, how we have the power to do that. Now, the other side of the road, we're trying to stay here. Uh, the other side of the road, there's a ditch. It's called license. Say that with me. It's called now, what that means is I'm saved by the grace of God. I believe in eternal security, and I believe anything goes. You can just be whatever you want to be, and, I, and, and basically it's a lawless living. We can just be whatever, do whatever, because of grace, there's no big deal. You can do anything you want to do. Now, that is not going to go either. Last week is where we covered that. Last week in chapter 6, we found out that he said, Should we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. We don't need to sin. We don't want to sin. We shouldn't live in sin. We should not submit, and we should not uh, surrender to sin in our life. We need to live a life of victory and a life of holiness. Say amen. amen. So as we're traveling down the road, as we're traveling down the road, we don't want to get over here in legalism where they, we, they, we have more rules than Jesus. We don't want to get over here where we're so bound to things that really are not important, really do not have anything to do with walking the Christian life. But then over here, we don't want to get so free and so, uh, 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 so uh, on the side of liberty. And there's nothing wrong with liberty until it gets you to live in an ungodly lifestyle. Are y'all with me? Let's talk about legalism. Let's talk about this problem that many churches face. Listen, legalism is destroying churches today. It's destroying people today because it is so, it is so sneaky. Good people, did you hear me? Good people get caught up in legalism. Because legalism, the way you start in this area, the way you start in this direction is you want to be right with God and you want to go overboard being right with God. Anything, say this with me, anything, anything. to an extreme is wrong. So I want to I want to go uh, you know and and see the nation of Israel did that same thing. They begin to add laws to God's law. And Jesus came and this is this is how bad it got. This is how bad it got. After after year after year after year after year of tradition and legalism, then Jesus came, the law writer, God in the flesh. He came and lived a life that they said he was breaking the law. And it wasn't his law he was breaking. It was their tradition. But legalism had put them to a point that they had put a bondage on the neck of people that they couldn't even fulfill. Does that make sense? Say amen. Now that's what we're going to talk about today, all right? Now, in the intro, let's read a few, a few lines in the intro and then we'll get started. Something in human nature makes us want to go extremes. This is a weakness from... You know, which Christians are not wholly free. Since we are saved, some argue we are free to live as we please, which is the extreme of license. But we cannot ignore God's law, some would say. We are saved by grace to be sure, but we must live under the law if we are to please God. Now, this is the extreme expression of legalism. Paul answered the first group in Romans chapter 6. Like I said, we discussed that last week. In this second group, this legalistic group, he talks about in Romans 7. The word law is used 23 times in this chapter. In Romans 6, Paul told us how to stop doing bad things. In Romans 7, and this is going to sound like a contradiction, he told us how not to do good things. Now think about that a minute. He told us how not to do good things. You were not justified by keeping the law, he says. In other words, you did not get saved by doing good. 
You did not get saved by doing good. You are not redeemed because of your good deeds. Because our good deeds, the best we could come up with, are as filthy rags in God's eyes. He said you were not redeemed by keeping the law, so you cannot be sanctified by keeping the law. Chapter 6 deals with the liberal who thinks anything goes. Chapter 7 deals with the legalist that is trying to live by the law to be righteous. So what really is legalism? It's amazing to me. I've heard people discuss this on Facebook. And uh, preachers or uh, missionaries, especially preachers, man, they'll go back and forth on there and they'll argue all the time. And, uh, and they'll say this and that. And, and many people say, well, legalism is trying to live by the law to get saved. But that's not all it is. You know, that, that's part of it. Some people believe, well, you've got to follow the Ten Commandments. If you don't follow the Ten Commandments, then you die and go to hell. So legalism is trusting in the law to get you to heaven. But that's not all it is. Watch. What is really legalism? It is the belief that I can become holy and please God by obeying laws. It is measuring spirituality by a list of do's and don'ts. The weakness of legalism is that it sees sins, plural, but not sin, the root of the trouble. You remember the Pharisee in the temple when he was praying? God, I did this and I did that and I'm glad I, I, I didn't do this thing over here and, I did, and I'm glad I'm not like that one over there. Y'all remember? You see, he was seeing everything but what was really there. That's, that's legalism, all right? Now, it judges by the outward and not the inward. Furthermore, the legalist fails to understand the real purpose of God's law and the relationship between law and grace. Warren Wiersbe, he's a commentator. Uh, uh, he said this in his pastoral experience. Great, great commentator. He says, I have counseled many people who have suffered severe emotional and spiritual damage because they have tried to live holy lives on the basis of a high standard. I have seen the consequences of these attempts. Either the person becomes a pretender. That's what most of the time happens. They become a pretender because they've got so many rules and they want you to think they're holy and they want you to think they've got their hair cut right, their, their pants just right, or their dress just right, or all these things. And they're trying to live by all these rules that they want you to think they're holy and they can't live up to it, so they start pretending. Then, if that doesn't work, if that doesn't work, he suffers a complete collapse and abandons his desire for godly living. I have seen too many legalists are extremely hard on other people, critical, unloving, and unforgiving. I can't tell you how many people came up or got saved in a very legalistic church, a church that had more rules than Moses, and I mean just crazy stuff that wasn't even in the Bible, and they got so frustrated because they couldn't live up to the expectations of the leaders who were pretending that they just quit on God. Because they said, there's no chance in me because I can't live it. And they get frustrated and quit because they can't live up to the standards and the rules and the ways of people that were pretending. Are y'all with me? There's a very famous church who, who, who is very much in this degree and in this type of, of, uh, type of behavior. I mean a big church that's very, very legalistic and just mean-spirited in their preaching and teaching and arrogant, and their preacher just got fired for having an affair with a 16-year-old. He's in his 50s. Now what happened? There's several things, several things that we could talk about. But one thing is this, it, and you're going to find out after this study, you, could, you can put all the rules you want to put, but rules will never control anybody. And all it will do will bring out the worst in people. Now, here's what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking because this is what they were thinking when Paul was teaching it. Oh, my goodness. You don't believe in rules? 
Let's finish. Let's finish. I got you thinking now. Now let's think. Then what does God want out of us? I believe God wants us to be holy. I believe God wants us to be righteous. He's a holy, righteous God. There are four creatures around the throne crying day and night, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, every minute of the hour. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And that same God said to his children, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So I believe in holiness, and I believe it can be attained, and I believe we can reach that, but it's not going to be by the way legalists tell you it's going to be. You can't control people by putting more rules up there. If they break that rule, let's make another rule. It's kind of like gun control. Now, I'm not going to get political because this is really not the atmosphere because people argue with a stump. Boy, I heard something last night, and I just told two people, I said, won't y'all shut up and quit arguing because you ain't going to convince him and you ain't going to convince him, so chill out, say amen. But the point is, Make more rules for guns. Go ahead and make them. Because they didn't follow the rules you first made when they broke and did the crime. It's the same principle. Now, with that being said, Paul begins to uh, dissect the problem. And he begins to help us understand our relationship with the law. Why is the law even there? And the first thing he uses is the illustration of a marriage. The illustration of a husband and wife and their relationship together, uh, the law of marriage. Now, now before we even go into this, we're going to read this, and, uh, and, and you're going to say, oh my goodness, this is saying this and that. Paul is not discussing marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Now get that in your head before we even go into this, before we get sideways and mad at God and Paul and Jesus and everybody. Before you do that, Paul is just using the illustration of marriage and the law of marriage. All right? Now... So before we go into that, understand that, understand that. He's, he didn't bring up every uh, uh, cause or reason for divorce or grounds for divorce. He just said, here's the deal. Now, there are grounds, there are things. We're not going to get into that night. We don't have time, but just to keep that in. If that makes sense, say amen. All right, now, verse number one, let's read. Verse number one, the first thing he does, he gives us a picture, uh, an illustration uh, through the marriage. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. Now, here's the deal. He's, he's trying to deal with legalism now. People that are trying to uh, live by the law to be righteous with God or live by the law to be saved. This is what he's dealing with. This is what he's uh, trying to teach and approach here. So now we're going to talk about the law. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over man as long as he what? As long as he liveth. So now he begins, let me tell you about the man and the woman who are married. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. In other words, she's no longer bound to the marriage. Her husband has died. Now she is free to turn around and marry again. There's a death of the spouse. Does that make sense? Say amen. Now, so then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So number one, if we're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Number one, we see the picture that is drawn. Two things I want to show you about this illustration that he gives, this picture. The first, the unlocking, unlocking the bond with the law. Unlocking the bond with the law, the binding. In other words, there, we, we are bound to the law to begin with. 
we die, we die, spiritually we die, and we come back to life in Jesus Christ. So when we die, we're no longer bound to the law. Just as this illustration gives, we are now married to Christ. We are loosed from that law. In this passage, Paul used the illustration of the husband and wife to show that the believer has a new relationship to the law because of his union with Christ. The illustration is a simple one, but it has a profound application. When a man and woman marry, they are united for life. Marriage is a physical union. The Bible says in Genesis 2.24 that two shall be one flesh and can only be broken by physical cause. Now one such is death. Uh, Matthew uh, 5.31.19.1 indicate that unfaithfulness also breaks the marriage bond. Uh, but Paul does not uh, bring up such cases because he's not discussing marriage and remarriage and relationships. He's using this as an illustration to a point. As long as they live, the husband and wife are under the authority of the law of marriage. If the woman leaves the man and marries another man, she commits adultery. But if the husband dies, she is free to remarry because she is no longer a wife. It is death, uh, it is death that has broken the marriage relationship and set her free. Now, that's the unlocking the bond with the law. Then write this down. You see the union that's binding with the Lord. The union, in other words, at one point I was connected and bound to the law. I was condemned by the law. Because of what Adam did in the garden, he passed upon condemnation upon all men. The law pertained to me. I was condemned. It made me a sinner. Does that make sense? The moment I got saved spiritually, my old man died. My connection, my bond with the law died, and now I am married to Christ. I am married to Christ. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? We died to the law, and it no longer has dominion over us. But we are not lawless. We are united to Christ, sharing his life and thus walking in the newness of life. The Christian life is not one of independence and rebellion. We died to the law that we might be married to Christ. We were delivered from the law that we might serve Christ. This truth refutes the false accusation that Paul taught lawlessness. He did not teach lawlessness. We have gone from being under the authority under the condemnation of the law to now we are under the authority and the deliverance and redemption and marriage to Jesus Christ. Say amen. All right, now, with that being said, so so does that mean, what, what use is the law then? I mean, does that mean it's no good anymore? Or we don't need it anymore? Uh, what good is it? That's what Paul was fixing to answer. All right? It says in verse number, uh, uh, verse number five, verse number five, for when we were, from when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? I mean, does that make this, the, the, the law bad? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin taken occasion uh, by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, which means a strong desire or a lust, a strong desire for without the law sin was dead. Now watch this. Watch this. Let's see what does the law do. What does Paul give us in these verses that the law does for us or the law does in general, period. First, write this down. Write this down. 
We see the power that's described. What power does the law have? If it, if it no longer has power over us as his children, as, his, as, as we are now married to Christ, we now have a relationship to Christ, what does it do? First, A, write this down. It has the power to expose sin. It has the power to expose sin. The Bible says in Romans 3.20, this is in verse 7, what did he say? He said, nay, I had not known sin. In other words, I wouldn't have known I was a sinner if I didn't know the law. It was the law that taught me that I was a sinner. It was the law that exposed sin in my life. I had not known lust. How did I know I was lustful? Because the law said, thou shalt not covet. You see what I'm saying? It exposes in us what is really there. The law is a mirror that reveals the inner man and shows us how dirty we are. James, let's go to James real quick. Let's go to James real quick. James 1, 22. I wasn't going to do this, but this, we can do it quick. Right after James here. James 1, verse 22. Watch this. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Now watch what, watch what uh, James compares the word of God to. He compares it to a mirror. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. In other words, we look in the mirror and it shows us what's really there. It shows us there's a problem. It shows us there's a hair out of place or it shows us that something's wrong with our shirt. And then we go and if we don't do it, then we go and we forget it and we don't fix the problem. That's the same way with the Word of God. We can go and we can read the Bible. It can tell us we have an issue. It can tell us we have problems. But if we don't apply it, if we don't do the Word, it does us no good. Does that make sense? Say amen. So it is a mirror. It reveals to us. It shows us what's really there. Now, Paul didn't use, Paul didn't use murder in this illustration in verse 7. He didn't use adultery. He didn't use stealing. What did he use? Coveting. Coveting. Why? This is the last of the Ten Commandments, and it differs from the other nine in that it is an inward attitude. Say that with me. It is an not an outward action. Covetousness leads to the breaking of the other commandments. It is an insidious sin that most people never recognize in their own lives, but God's law reveals it. Now watch this. It's very easy for a legalistic person to look right to everybody else. The guy's got his hair cut just right. He's got his clothes just right. He don't wear stuff that other people think is, is feminine. Uh, I mean, he, he, he just got everything just right. And boy, I tell you what, he knows the lingo. He knows the spiritual talk. So everybody thinks this guy is a good Christian because they're looking on the outward action. But guess what? God looks deeper than that. This is why this is so appealing to pride. Because now you can compare yourself with other people. Think about it. Legalistic people are the most prideful people in the world. And they're, most, they're the most critical people in the world. Just like the Pharisee. I'm glad I'm not like him. Because see, now he is comparing himself with these other people that don't dress right. Or don't, don't, don't talk right like we think they ought to. Or don't do all of these things. So instead of comparing ourselves to Christ like we're supposed to, we compare ourselves with others. Now, we may look good to others. Y'all with me? You see why this is so dangerous? It's dangerous. We're looking at the outside. 
But Jesus didn't bring up the outside. A great example of this, a great example of this is the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. He said, what do I need to do to have eternal life? He said, what do the commandments say? Oh, I, I got all them. I'm down with that. I followed them all from my youth. And Jesus knew his heart. I'm, I bet you, I bet, no, I didn't bet you. I guarantee you. There's probably legalistic people in here. I better say, I, I, I guarantee you. I didn't mean to say that right in the house of God, on the platform of my Bible in my hand. Amen. I guarantee you. Jesus thought right then at that moment, you didn't follow all of them. You, you followed the ones that make you look good on the outside, but there's one thing you got a problem with. He said, son, one thing you need to do, go sell your good, because he's rich, he's loaded. Go sell what you got, give to the poor, and come on, follow me, let's go. What was his issue? He coveted. But you couldn't see it. It wasn't an outward action. It was an inward problem. But guess who saw it? The law. When Jesus quoted the law to him, it exposed what he really was. Wow. How powerful the word of God is. It cuts Listen, sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes deeper than anybody can see. Anybody can look like Ken and Barbie when they come on the parking lot. But guess what happens? When the preacher gets to preaching the Word of God, you think, you think he done bugged your phone. Because, because God takes his Word and he starts dissecting your life. And he starts going in those places that you got hidden that nobody else can see. Because the law exposes. The word of God will expose what's really there. That's why everybody else is shouting and you're old men. Hello? Am I right? Yeah, I'm right. I know. I've left bleeding many times. Amen. Listen, B, the law has the power to expose. But then the law has power to excite sin. Not only expose sin, but the, the law, what it will do, it will excite sin. It will arouse sin. What does it say? The Bible says in verse 8, But sin taken occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of... Now, the word wrought means to work. To work in. Wrought in me or worked in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. In other words, it. But when I didn't want to, when I saw the law, then I wanted to. Let me illustrate this. Let me illustrate. Let me read it and I'll illustrate it. Since Paul was, a, and you see, you got to really get, you got to really get Paul's background. Because he lived a life for years and years before he met Christ. He lived a life of do's and don'ts. He lived a life of legalism for years, trying to please God by following rules. That's why he hated Jesus so much. Because Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Forget their yoke. That's what he was saying. He said, all those rules and regulations they got, all it's doing is, is pulling you down. 
Why do you think they were tired and weary? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Heavy laden with what? Their rules and regulations. More than what God said. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Just come follow me. Well, isn't that what churches need to do today? We just need to follow Jesus. Don't worry what, about what Dr. Doodledigger says. Don't worry about what this college or that college says. Don't worry about what this evangelist or the brethren's going to think of you. Just follow Jesus. Wouldn't that make life a whole lot simpler? Put it on the internet. I said it right there. Amen. Just follow Jesus. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. My yoke is, and my burden is. You ever tried to live a life pleasing others? It gets heavy, don't it? Sure does. But watch what he says. Paul, this person who lived a life to please others and followed the rules, and he finally found Christ. He was a devout Pharisee seeking to obey the law before his conversion. Since we have a sinful nature, and we all have it, we all have the sinful nature, the law is bound to arouse that nature the way a magnet draws steel. Something in the human nature wants to rebel whenever a law is given. Am I right? Uh, you got teenagers, you know I'm telling the truth right there. Instruct a child not to go near the water, and that is the very thing he will do. I told Mackenzie that time, don't get near that hot wire right there. Went five minutes late. Five minutes late. The wow! You know why she touched it? Because I told her not to. Amen? It was funny, to be honest with you. Amen? It was really great. Hair stood down on the head. It was great. I'm just kidding. Listen, now why does that happen? Why does that happen? Because the carnal mind is an enemy or an enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither can be. Listen, prove that. Prove that. What happens? What happens when you see that? Let me let me back this up. Bob, you can can you see that sign? Can y'all see this now? What's that say? What's that make you want to do? Am I right? What about this one? What about this one? What's the first thing you're going to do? Now, guess what? Now, watch this. You didn't want to till it said not to. You see what the law does? It puts in you a desire to do wrong. It excites a desire in you to do what it says not to do. Isn't this fun? Well, I tell you what, I wouldn't do neither one of them. I'd stay off the grass and I wouldn't touch the paint. How about this one? Let us have our invitation right now. Amen. How about it? It's something about it that if it says 55, we're going 60. They move the speed limit to 60, what do we do? If they move to 65, what do we do? 
Some of us just bumped right on up there to 80, amen? Hey. Am I right? And that's what Paul says. The law is not going to help you do right. It's just going to pull out of you a desire to do wrong. No wonder we're having such a problem. Amen? It's amazing. We're, we're going to get somewhere, people. I promise you, we're going to get. Some of y'all are thinking, dear God, why do we have any rules at all? Watch. It not only exposes sin, it excites sin. Believers who try to live by rules and regulations discover real quick that their legalistic system only arouses more sin and creates more problems. The churches in Galatia were very legalistic, and they experienced all kinds of trouble. Their legalism did not make them more spiritual. It made them more sinful. Why? Because the law arouses sin in our nature. That's just what it does. Not only that, but let's look in verse number 13. Verse number 13. Wherefore, let's go back to verse 12. Verse 12. Wherefore, the law is holy. Amen. How many of y'all believe God, what God did is good? It's good. It really is. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is wonderful. The law is good. The law is great. The law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? What made it bad? If the, if the law is good, then why does it, why does it in me, it, it, it causes me to do bad things? God forbid, he says. But sin, now here's the key, but sin that it might appear sin. It might appear sin. In other words, when we do wrong, it needs, we need to know it's wrong. In other words, we need to know that this is awful. Sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment, now here's the key, underline this in your Bible. If you've got one in Bibles, you can write in, underline this, this verse, right, or this, this sentence. That sin by the commandment, might, or, or, or the law, sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. We need to truly understand just how wicked and evil and bad sin is. That's the purpose of the law. Unsaved people, unsaved, listen, I, here's, the, here's the word. The power of the law is to expose sin, to excite sin, and to exaggerate sin. To make it big. To make it big. We try to make sin small, don't we? Come on now. We'll minimize all of our weaknesses. Right? We try to make sin small, but God wants us to make it exceeding sinful. A little white lie is exceedingly sinful. You remember what I told you earlier in this study? The closer that you get to God, the more stuff is going to bother you. The more things you see on TV that you're like, whoa, whoa, turn that. The closer you get to God, the more exceeding sinful sin will become. That's how you can tell whether you're walking with God or not. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Remember? If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So the closer you get to God, the more things are going to bother you. It becomes more exceedingly sinful. Does this make sense? 
So that's the purpose of the law. Watch. Unsaved people know that there is a such thing as sin. But they do not realize the sinfulness of sin, the badness, the wickedness of sin. Many Christians do not realize the true nature of sin either. We excuse our sins with words like mistakes or weaknesses, but God condemns our sins and tries to get us to see that they are exceedingly sinful. Until we realize how wicked sin really is, we will never want to oppose it and live in victory. Paul's argument here is tremendous. The law is not sinful. It's good. It's holy. It's right. But the law reveals sin or arouses sin in us and then uses it to slay us. If something as good as the law accomplishes these results, then something is radically wrong somewhere. So what is the conclusion? What can we draw from this? Listen, here's the conclusion. See how sinful sin is when it can use something so good as the law of God to produce such tragic results. Sin is indeed exceedingly sinful. The problem is not with the law. The problem is with my sinful nature. Does that make sense? Listen, the law is wonderful. The law does many things. The main purpose of the law is so that we would understand our need for a Savior. We would understand truly how awful sin is. So how does God feel about sin? All you got to do to find out how God feels about sin is take a good glimpse of Calvary. Because God took out on His Son what He feels about sin. The payment for sin was what Jesus went through on Calvary. Amen? Now, number three, number three. Give me, give me number one and number two again. Number one, we find first, we find the, everybody say it, the picture that is drawn. Say it with me. Number one, we find the, then number two, we find the, now number three, I want you to see this, the problem that is defined. The problem that is defined, verse 14. Here's a problem. We're trying to follow the law. We're trying to follow the law to be right. We're, trying, we're, we're thinking if we just put more rules, we're going to be more right with God or it's going to fix us. It'll, it'll straighten us out. It'll straighten us out. Well, here's a problem. A, write this down. First, you see the law's inability to change my flesh. The law cannot change my flesh. And when I say flesh, the old nature. How many of y'all remember last week when I put the two guys up here with me? We had Sinner Sam. We had one guy uh, dressed in white and one guy dressed in black. And, and the guy dressed in black was the old man. That's that part of me that wants me to sin and is always with me trying to get me to do wrong, trying to get me to sin, trying to get me to live wrong, blah, blah, blah. And then we've got the guy that God put with me, the new nature, the new man, that divine nature that God put in me to lead me right and, and do right and that, that helps me when, when, when I need direction and, and, and encourage me to do right. I've got these with me all the time. All the time. When you get saved, you'll still have that old nature. Now, he doesn't have the control over you anymore. He doesn't have you in bondage anymore. He can't force you to do anything anymore, but he can influence you. There's a big difference. When you were lost, he could force you. When you were lost, he could control you. When you were, are y'all with me? 
But the moment you got saved, the moment that you trusted Christ as your personal Savior, he broke those bonds. He broke that control. You have been set free. You are liberated from the control of the old man. But he's still there to influence you, and he'll be there till Jesus comes. So when we talk about the flesh, that's who we're talking about. We're talking about that part of us that wants us to do wrong. It doesn't matter how much of the law you try to follow. It doesn't how many how many rules you want to write down that you're going to follow. It'll never change that flesh. Say amen. That's the point we're trying to make. Verse 14. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. What does that mean? Stuff I don't want to do, I do. Stuff I do want to do, I don't do. Can anybody relate to poor Paul? And your poor preacher, amen? We got a struggle here. We got a fight here. How many of y'all have ever said this? And if you, if you don't raise your hand, you're lying. So just go ahead and raise it before I say it, amen? Here's the deal. I'm never going to do that again. Dear God, please forgive me. I won't never say that or I won't never do that. I won't ever think that. Or, and you did it anyhow. That's what he's talking about. Why? What's the problem? The law cannot change my flesh. The law cannot change my old nature. Our nature is carnal. It's fleshly. But the law's nature is spiritual. This explains why the old nature responds as it does to the law. It has well been said the old nature knows no law. In other words, there's no law in the world can control the old nature. The old nature knows no law, but the new nature needs no law. The new man, the spiritual man, the, the new divine nature God put in me, he don't need no law. We're following Christ. In the Old Testament, they wrote the law on stone. But in the New Testament, he wrote it in our hearts. And we follow Christ. Amen? Listen, the law cannot transform the old nature. It can only reveal how sinful that old nature is. The believer who tries to live under the law will only activate the old nature. He will not eradicate it. It will not change the flesh. The law's inability to change my flesh. But not only that, we see the law's inability to control my flesh. In other words, we want, our, we want our teenagers to act right, so we just make more rules for them. How's that working for y'all? Now, I know some of y'all are still thinking, well, he's just thinking we need to do away with rules. That's the same thing people are thinking here. But we need to live holy. We need to live righteous. But there's, there's a better way. Matter of fact, it's the only way that's going to work. It's not going to be by rules. Now, do we have standards? Yes. Do I have rules for my teenagers? Yes, I have all that stuff. But there's something that we have to teach them. Not just say, here's the rules, do them. It's got to be more than that. If it's not, if it's not, we're going to raise a generation that's in trouble. Now, watch this. The many pronouns in this section, boy, I can relate to this, and I know you'll probably be able to too. The many pronouns in this section indicate that the writer is having a problem with self. He says, man, the stuff I don't want to do, I do. The stuff I, I do want to do, I don't do it. And Boy, I'm just having issues. It indicates that the believer's mind, will, and body can be controlled either by the old nature or the new nature, either by the flesh 
or the Spirit. The statements here indicate that the believer has two serious problems. He cannot do what he wants to do, and he does the evil that he doesn't want to do. Does this mean that Paul could not stop himself from breaking God's law? That he was a liar and a thief and a murderer? Of course not. That's not what he's saying. Paul was saying that of himself, of himself, in his own ability, with his own talent, without the help of God, but on his own, he can't get it done. That's why people that try to live right, try to turn over a new leaf, they try to do stuff and try to live right and do all that without getting saved, and they keep messing up and failing, and they think, dear God, I, and, and some, I've had, my uncle told me, he said, there ain't no sense in me getting saved because I can't never live it. Well, you will never live it without getting saved because on your own, you can't live it. That's what Paul is saying. You're going to have to need, you're going to need extra help. Paul was saying that of himself, he could not obey God's law. In Romans 6, the problem there was, how can I stop doing good, or excuse me, how can I stop doing bad things? That's what we talked about last week. But the problem here is, how can I ever do anything good? The believer has an old nature that wants to keep him in bondage. Watch this. <laughs> Probably every Christian said this before. I will get free from these old sins these habits or whatever it is that we're trying to get, get released from. I will get free from these old sins, the Christian says to himself. I determine here and now, bless God, right now I'm not ever going to do this again. I'll do this no longer, but what happens? He exerts all his willpower, all his energy, and for a time he does okay. For a time he succeeds. But when he least expects it, what's he do? He falls again. Can anybody relate to that? You, you promise God I won't ever do that again. You promise God I won't ever say that again, or I won't ever go there, or I won't ever, whatever that might be. And on your own, you really try real hard, and you do good for a little bit, but then, boom, we fall on our face. Why? Because he tried to overcome the old nature with making rules for himself, with the law. The law cannot deliver us from the old nature. Instead of being a dynamo that gives us power to overcome, the law is a magnet that draws out of us all kinds of sin and corruption. The inward man may delight in the law of God, but the old nature delights in breaking the law of God. No wonder the believer under the law becomes tired and discouraged and eventually gives up. He is a captive and his condition is wretched. That's what Paul says. Look what he says in verse 24. Let me, let me read the verses. He said, for the good, in verse 19, let's read verse 19. For the good that I would do, I, excuse me, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me, or that old man. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. In other words, even when I do try to do good, I still have to deal with evil. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. There's a part of me that wants to do right. God has put, see that's the difference between a lost man and a saved man. A lost man is not bothered with sin. A saved man is bothered with sin. He is convicted by sin. God has put something in him that desires to want to do right. Desires to want to live right. Desires to want to have the power of God and the presence of God in his life. But there is this powerful struggle on the inside with the old nature, the old habits, the old ways, 
in the new nature that's wanting to do right and go this way. Now, with that being said, watch what he says. In verse number 23, But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Watch what he says in verse 24. Oh, what's that word? Say it with me. Oh, wretched man that I am. The word wretched, the Greek word indicates a person who is exhausted after battle. Can you, can you feel Paul's frustration? He's just like, man, I want God's power. I want God's presence. And then I have to deal with this fight. And I'm just frustrated and exhausted. What could be more wretched than exerting all of your energy to try to live a good life only to discover that the best you do is still not good enough. How many of y'all can think of many, many Christians who are in this condition right here? So frustrated with life. So frustrated with their own ability. So frustrated with trying to live right. Trying to do good. Seems like, preacher, the harder I try, the worse I do. It seems like I just fail all the time and I mess up and I don't have any kind of... Whoa! Boy, I've felt like that before. Man, I can't tell you how many times... I can't tell you how many times i felt like this. Man, I, I don't... I'm having a hard time thinking I'm a Christian, much less a preacher. Man, would a preacher thought that? Would a, would a Christian reacted that way in traffic? Y'all don't look all holy at me. I know you. Somebody told me the other day, boy, you got a great church. I said, oh, you don't know them like I do. We're all in this thing together, ain't we? Frustrated. But thank God, there is an answer. Because God would never command you to do something you couldn't do. If he said, be ye holy, for I am holy, you can be holy. If he said, walk in the light as he is in the light, you can walk in the light. If he said you can do it, you can do it. Quit listening to the old man. Quit listening to the devil and say, well, you don't know all. You're just, this, you're just, you know, you're just a lower class Christian. You don't have the faith that they do, and you don't have the knowledge that you can't. No, 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 no. Listen, here's what you got to tell the devil. You need to remind him what you heard and learned last week, that you are a saint of God, you are a child of God, you have the Spirit of God, and if you have the Spirit of God, you have the power of God, and there is nothing impossible to God. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Oh, wretched man that I am, I don't have it in my own ability, I don't have it in my own power, I'm a frustrated man on my own, but thank God who will deliver us from this body of death. He said, thank God it's going to be Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. Say amen. Watch what he said. That's what he said. Verse number, verse number 25. 
I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. If I, in other words, if I follow the old man, I'm going to do wrong. But boy, if I follow Jesus Christ, if I trust in him, now watch this. But number four, I want you to see the person that is deliverance. Two things I want to show you. Two things, A and B, and then we'll, then we'll talk about it. Write this down. We see God gave us an example By the example that he said, Jesus came and lived the life that he wants us to live. Now, you got to get how important this is. You got to get how important this is. You remember remember when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted? Let's let's do this. How many of of y'all remember the Bible when it says that, that we have a great high priest in heaven who cannot, listen, we, we have not a high priest in heaven which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are. Well, sin is, sin is three things. The pride of life, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's all sin, sin, sins can be qualified in them three points. All three of them points is what Jesus was tempted with in the wilderness. The, 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 the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Every one of those temptations had to do with those three things. If you're following me, say amen. All right? In other words, everything that we're tempted with, he was tempted with. And guess how he had to fight that temptation? The same way you do. Do you realize Jesus had power to say, he could have pinched the devil's head off. But you couldn't. Y'all getting what I'm saying? Jesus came. Do you realize that Jesus lived every day of his life by faith? Just like you have to. He could not operate outside the realm of his father's will. Oh, he could. But he said, I came to do my Father's will. I'm only going to do those things that please Him. I do not think that everybody in here truly understands and grasps the concept of how human Jesus was. How He was all man, but He was all God. But He lived as a man just like you and me. He got tired just like you and me. Listen, he got thirsty just like you and me. He got hungry just like you and me. And he came and lived this earth perfect. He lived it to give us an example. So he just one drop of blood. No, that's good for songwriting, but that's not true. He gave it all. But the purpose that he lived 33 and the third years on this earth was to give us an example. The Bible says it. He gave us an example, an example to live by. So, with that being said, God helps us to live holy first by the example he gave. We can follow the example of Christ. We can live like he did. We can pray like he did. We can operate like he did. But that's not all, thank God. In the Old Testament, all they got was a set of rules on a rock. But when we got saved, God put those rules on the inside of us, in our heart. 
You ever wonder why you got convicted of things you didn't even know was wrong, but you felt wrong about it? And then you talk to somebody else. Well, yeah, because the Bible says. You know why? Because God put it in your heart. Isn't that amazing? Before you even read, you have a chapter and verse that says it's wrong or right. You already felt it wrong or right in your heart. But you try to get away with it by coming to preach. What about this preacher? And you already know. I'm just nipping it in the bud. If you feel wrong, don't even come ask me. Hello? Am I right? You see, see what happened? In the Old Testament, it was written on a rock and said, you do this. In the New Testament, he wrote it on our heart. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost to help you do this. Isn't that great? Y'all ain't getting it yet. Watch this. How are we delivered? By the example that he set. B, by the empowerment that he sent. He, he doesn't just tell us to do it. He sends us a power to get it done. I can't wait till y'all see the promotional video for the revival in Acts. It's so cool. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Amen. I wish they had done tonight. I'd have showed y'all tonight. I can't wait. It's just it's great. Is there any deliverance of this frustration that we, we experience as a Christian? Of course. I thank God that there is someone who shall deliver me, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, that's not just when he comes back. That's now. Because the believer is united to Christ, he is dead to the law and no longer under its authority. But he is alive to God and able to draw on the power of who? Of who? The final sentence in the chapter does not teach that the believer lives a divided life. Sinning with his flesh, but serving God with his mind. That's not what he's saying. The believer realizes that there is a struggle with him between the flesh and the spirit. But he knows that one or the other must be in control. If we depend, and I underline this for a reason. If we depend on the energy of the flesh, we cannot serve God, we cannot please God, or do any good thing. But if we yield to the Holy Spirit, then we have the power needed to obey His will. Say amen. The old nature knows no law, and the new nature needs no law. Legalism makes a believer wretched because it grieves the new nature and aggravates the old nature. The legalist becomes a Pharisee whose outward actions are acceptable, but whose inward attitudes are despicable. No wonder Jesus called them whited sepulchers, talking about the Pharisee, which indeed appear beautiful on the outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. How wretched can you get? So in conclusion, what are we going to draw from this study tonight? What are we going to draw from this study tonight? And, and, and by the way, by the way, Next week, chapter 8, is how we get the job done. In chapter 7, he shows us and teaches us how the law won't do it. The law is not going to help us live right. You can follow every rule you want to write, but it's not going to change your nature. It's not going to control your flesh. It won't get the job done. Chapter 8, next week, is how he's going to teach us how we're going to get the job done. It's going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit 
and given us the ability to overcome sin and live victorious and live as a more than conqueror. I don't want to be a conqueror. I want to be a more than conqueror. How many of y'all want to be that? Now watch this. So what are we going to draw from today? By the way, that's, that's like a commercial to get y'all to come back next week. Did y'all catch that? All right. In conclusion, to be dead to the law does not mean that we lead lawless lives. In other words, we're not going to run out of here and act crazy and dress immodest and talk dirty and do all this stuff because we're dead to the law. We're not going to go out there and murder. We're not going to go out there and steal. We're not going to go out there and lust and, 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 and commit affairs and commit adultery. We're not going to do all that stuff. Listen, because we're not bound by the law and under the authority of the law doesn't mean we have lawless lives. All right? Everybody say amen. amen. What it means is the motivation and the dynamic. This is so good. My soul, this is good. The motivation and the dynamic of our lives does not come from a list of rules. It comes from God's grace through our union with Christ. In other words... I'm going to live right, not to follow that list of rules, but to please the one who saved me. Y'all with me? That's my motivation. That is the dynamic. What is the difference? What is different about Christian service as opposed to our old life of sin? To begin with, the Holy Spirit of God energizes us as we seek to obey and serve the Lord. Under the law, there was no enablement given. God's commandments were written on stones and read to people. But under grace, God's word is written in our hearts. We walk in the newness of life and serve in the newness of spirit. The believer, read it with me. The believer then is no longer under the authority of the law, but under the power of grace. Say amen. What a God. What a God. I'm glad, I'm glad living... Living right is possible. I'm glad living a holy life is possible. I'm glad walking in the Spirit, listen, walking in the presence of Christ is possible. Listen, if you're forced, let me say this. If you're one of them legalistic parents that has a set of rules for your child, but you never develop a relationship, you're going to put rebellion in your child. But if you learn to develop a relationship with your child, guess what? You won't have to have a set of rules because they're going to want to please you. I remember growing up, my dad was strict. I mean, tell you, he was against everything. And not to the point, but I, as I matured and developed, and I, I matured a lot earlier in, in the spiritual realm, not in other stuff, because it took a while. But in spiritual things, it really did. I, I, I always knew I was different. I mean, in the beginning, I just thought I was weird. But I always knew that I had a calling on my life, and, and I was different than where everybody. All the other kids are playing in the parking lot throwing rocks. I'm all up in, the, in, the, in there with the preachers just listening to what they got to say and all about it. My aunt's back there. My uncle's back there. They can tell you. I mean, it's always been that way. But there were, when I was growing up, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to please my dad. And I wanted, listen, it wasn't, I didn't do stuff not because I thought he was going to kill me. I mean, that may have had a little influence on it, but it was the, more the point that what was it going to make him look like? What would, what would this reflect on him because of what I did? I 
tell you what, it will drastically change your Christian life when you stop thinking about, is God going to hit me with lightning and, and, and then change to this here. If I do this, what is it going to make my Savior look like? How is this going to reflect the Lord who, who died for me? I guarantee you, love is a lot stronger motivation than fear. And when you just fall in love with Jesus, you don't have to have no rules. I tell you what, this is standard. You can't go to that. But if you love Jesus, you'll be way over here. You're not even going to come close to that. But if you, if you try to control the flesh or anything else by putting these, all you're going to do is create rebellion. What am I saying? We need to develop with our kids a relationship. Not just with our kids. We need to develop our Savior and our Holy Spirit, a relationship so that we are in love with Him. And we'll talk about that next week. Isn't God good? I'm over time, so we got to quit. Uh, I was supposed to say something. Sparkies. Something to do over here. The Sparkies, if you've got Sparkies, they're meeting. They're, they're, you can pick them up in techno, on the bottom or the top. At the check-in at Technotown, which is over here. That's what I was supposed to say, right over here. I remembered. Church, say amen. amen. Hey, if you're not jacked up about this Sunday, you need to get jacked up. Because it's going to be on like Donkey Kong. Say amen. amen. I'm telling you, it's going to be great. We've got two weeks building up to the, to the revival. And I'm telling you, it's, it's great. It's going to be good. I'm excited. Are you excited? All right, y'all going to do better than that. Are y'all excited? All right. Well, let's pray and, and go home. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that I don't have to depend on the law to keep me straight. But I can depend on the Holy Ghost to give me power to live right and act right and talk right and dress right and all that other stuff. God, thank you that we can live holy. We can live righteous. We can live the way you want us to live. And God, I thank you for everything you've done. Bless all these folks. Lord, they're tired, wore out, worked all day long. But they come out to be blessed, and I hope they was. And I pray that you'll bless them on home. Give them double rest tonight for their sacrifice. God, I pray your will be done in their life. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Amen. While you're leaving, shake three people's hands.